Well, it is good to be with you today. I have uh, been to this church a few times and heard other people preach, and uh, it's just a, a joy to, to know that God's Word is being preached faithfully. Uh, and I bring you greetings from about 70 BFC churches that are preaching the Word faithfully. Uh, and so we just praise God for His rising up these churches and the men to call that, that have come to these churches, and we're so grateful for that. And what a privilege it is. Uh, some people think that because I'm the conference pastor, somehow I have some sort of authority. My wife, if you ask her, she'll say, oh, he's nothing. Um, but it really, I I'm, uh, serve alongside other pastors. That's my, that's my role, my position, my privilege to do that, is to I serve alongside of them. I'm not their boss. I'm just a, another brother in the Lord that uh, is there to pray for them. I try to encourage them. If they want to, uh, rather than to yell at you, they can yell at me. Uh, they can uh, call me and, and ask for prayer or do whatever they would like to do. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to encourage them in the ministry that they have because um, the burdens are heavy on a pastor. Sometimes we don't realize that, but there's you become the family of the pastors in this church. You're their family. They love you. And when you hurt, they hurt. When you rejoice, they rejoice. Uh, and so pray for them. Pray for all of them. And their wives, uh, especially, I just uh, my wife is, uh, uh, will attest that uh, you, you go through a lot as a pastor's wife. Uh, things that um, she doesn't know that's going on, but she knows it bothers you. And so she has to bear that burden without really having a lot of understanding. So uh, pray for your pastor's wives as well. Good to get into the Word. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for what it has to say to us. May we rejoice in the fact that you have given us these letters, these love letters. That tell us about you. Remind us, Father, of your goodness and your grace and your mercy toward us. May you be honored and glorified as we look at it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, if you're not there already, you'll notice the title of the sermon is a very familiar kid song, right? You know that song? So raise your hand if you know that song. Okay, good. I'm glad that many know it because I don't have to sing it to you. Uh, and I got to thinking about that and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't aggravate them and don't embarrass yourself. So I'm not going to sing that song, but I'm, you probably are doing it in your mind anyway. But it's, it's a song that reminded me as I thought about this passage. It's a song that reminded, reminded me that, that we live in a spiritually dark world. That's no surprise to you. As a matter of fact, a lot of things that I say today probably are not going to be new to you, but I think they're important to encourage us, to spur us on to live more and more like Jesus Christ, to be like him. And we need to sometimes get back to the basics, don't we? Uh, we get all wrapped up in, in things of life and what's going on and the material things of life and the goodness of, uh, of things that we do have, even as believers. And sometimes we lose the basics of why do we live every single day in this, on this earth? What is the purpose? Before becoming a child of God, I really didn't have a purpose. I mean, whatever the world offered, boats, cars, motorcycles, all those kinds of things, that's what the world has to offer. But they never really fully satisfied. At the moment, at the moment they do, but then they rust and they rot 
and they, they just kind of disappear. But when you come, become a child of God and you understand what the Lord has for you and his purpose in life, what a joy, what a joy it is. So we live in a dark world, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to let our light shine, as it, uh, these verses uh, remind us of that. Uh, we need to stand firm in giving testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he's done for us, in spite of the opposition. And there is opposition out there. You may have already discovered that. If you haven't, you will. Just talk about the Lord. Matter of fact, just talk about Jesus. You can talk about God a lot, but you talk about Jesus, all of a sudden a dividing line appears, and they don't like that. There's a very foggy night, and you may have heard this example, but bear with me. She was a ship's captain, and he was straining his eyes, searching for hidden dangers out there in the water, and his worst fears were realized uh, when he saw a bright light that was straight ahead of him. It appeared to be a vessel on a collision course with a ship, and to avoid disaster, he quickly radioed that ship and said, this is a captain. I'm requesting you to alter your course. And to the captain's amazement, this foggy image did not move itself, and he heard back, please alter your course. The captain was appalled at the audacity of this message and shouted back, I'm the captain, I order you to immediately alter your course. The light did not budge. And he heard, I'm a private, but with all due respect, captain, I order you to alter your course immediately. Well, this really angered and frustrated the captain that this disrespectful sailor would endanger the lives of his men and his crew. And the captain growled back and he said, private, I can have you court-martialed for this for the last time. I command you on the authority of the United States government and to alter your course. I'm a battleship. To the private's final transmission was chilling to the captain when he said, Captain, sir, once again, with all due respect, I command you to alter your course. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> that example, as I thought about that, and it came to my mind while I was preparing this, is that the battleship is a lot like the world. The world wants us to alter our course, not realizing that they're heading for disaster like that battleship. But that's the world. That's what they want. They don't want to hear what we have to say, most speaking. They want us to alter. And in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18, Paul is exhorting the Philippian believers, he's exhorting us as believers in Jesus Christ that we're to be like Christ, we're to look like him, we're to grow in our, our wisdom and knowledge of Christ. And, and, and Christ is our example to follow. And he strongly encourages us uh, to be lights. And so I want us to see this morning, as I looked at this passage, I really got to thinking, we need to look at how God's involved in all of this. If we're going to have a light to shine, it's not something that we produce, right? It's, it's something that we need to understand. God's involvement is so crucial, so important. We need to be reminded of it. We need to get back to the basics of why do we do this? Why do we let our light shine? And the first thing that I see in this passage is in verse 12. God's involvement is because God's salvation. God's salvation. Verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear 
and trembling. Work out your salvation. You've heard probably before, this doesn't mean work for your trans, uh, salvation. Some people think they have to do that, that they have to have so many brownie points on the good side, and if the good side outweighs the bad side, God's got to let them into heaven, right? Well, that's not what Scripture says. We need to work out our salvation. That's Paul is, is writing to Philippian believers, and so he's already saying, no, you've already got your salvation. Now do something with it. Do something with it. Work out your salvation. It's absolutely necessary. Salvation, God's salvation, is absolutely necessary to even have a light to shine. So if you're going to shine your light, you need God's word. You need God's salvation to do that. We're, we're told and we're reminded in the previous verses, 5 to 11, that, that Jesus, the Son of God, willingly left heaven's glory, didn't he? And not giving up his deity, but taking on humanity, joined with that, uh, and with a human nature, but a human nature that was out without sin. He was selfish in doing that. And why did he do this? Well, it says in verse 8 that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This speaks of our Savior's dying. He didn't die for himself. He died for you. And he died for me. He died for our sins that they might be forgiven. Sins that separated us from God. We were all born in sinners. We don't like to think about that. I didn't when I first heard the message. No, I'm not a sinner. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a better than so-and-so. You know, you don't look at anybody worse than you, right? Or, or better than you. You always look at somebody that's worse than you that you can try and compare. But he's saying, no, he humbled himself for us. He paid that price that we could not pay. And Paul um, also speaks of this in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 when he says, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in offenses, made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. The point I think Paul is making here is that Christ did this willingly. He did this submissively. He did this humbly. He did this sacrificially, doing what God the Father's will was. This is what God wanted him to do in coming here to this earth. I'm not sure about you, but if I was the Lord, and, and God told me, you need to go die for these people. They don't really care for you. Actually, most of them will probably reject you. And, oh, by the way, let me tell you about your death. How many of us would really take on that kind of a challenge? But Jesus did. Jesus did. And it, because he was sacrificial in what he did. And then he didn't do it for getting some sort of special recognition into heaven. He didn't do it so they would pat him on the back. Actually, what he did it for is so that we would be recognized into heaven if we trust him as our Lord and our Savior. He is the way and the truth and the life, he says in John 14, 6. When we admit to our hopeless, sinful condition that we cannot do anything, do anything to save ourselves, and only by trusting in Jesus' work on the cross for our sins to be forgiven, we are then given his righteousness and we're given the Holy Spirit so that we can be his lighthouse in a dark, lost world. So Jesus, the God-man, is the light of the world, he says. And when God saves us, he works in us to reflect that light. So think about that. You're going to let your light shine. You have to have that light inside. And then as that light's inside, then you will reflect Jesus Christ. You will reflect the light of the world. 
God gives us his light so that others might see the saving grace of knowledge. So there's a whole lot more that could be said about salvation. I know there is, but I've only got an hour and a half. So, <laughs> so I must move on. Uh, but I want us to, and I'll wrap this up a little bit later, but I just keep remind, reminding yourself of that, of what this is God's salvation. To have that light, you need God's salvation. But we also need God's strength, verse 13 where it says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So it's God who works in us. It is God who works in us. Back in verse 12, uh, Paul talks about the fact that they, they obeyed when he was there. They obeyed when he was not there. He commended on that. And, and he also talks about being blameless and things like that. Let me, let me just clarify that I think when your pastor preaches, when anybody preaches, we're never talking about perfection, this side of life, unless you talk about perfection from the standpoint of maturity. But absolute perfection, this side of heaven, is an impossibility. But what is possible, because you have the light of the world in you, you can be more consistent in your walk with the Lord. You can be consistent. You can live for him more and more and more. And as we grow in the Lord, as we, as we become more and more and in, get into his word and, and trust in him more and more, we do become more like Jesus Christ. And so we become more consistent in our walk. And as a matter of fact, what I've discovered in my life is not only that, but when I do sin, I'm sensitive to it right away versus about a week or two later or a month later or never to sin that might happen in my life because I can make excuses for it. But as you get to know the Lord, you can't make excuses. All you can do is ask him to forgive you. And if you have that brokenness about you, he indeed will do that. So Paul says, you can be consistent and you have always been, but not just when I'm there, but when I'm not there. And so that's why he knew that they were consistent and to be steadfast, immovable, always about in the work of the Lord, we need God's strength, right? You need to know that. We need God's strength. This is not something that we try to manufacture on our own because he alone saves us. He alone provides us strength to, to live pleasing to him. And so obedience, Paul says, is done with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. That He's really talking about a reverential awe of who God is. How magnificent, how glorious, how beyond us is this God who doesn't really need us. He doesn't need me, but he loves me, and he wants to use me, and he wants to use you for his honor and his glory. That's a privilege. That's a privilege to think about that. So have that reverential awe. But also, trembling kind of speaks to our, uh, a profound sense of our inadequacy, recognizing that I can't do it, but he can. So I need to honor him and, and live in awe of him with the understanding that I'm in and unable to do what he's asking me to do on my own strength, on my own abilities. So we cannot please God by human efforts, but we can please him by complete reliance upon the work of the Holy Spirit because what that does, what he does in us is to transform our heart. He changes our heart. Can I explain that? No, and I haven't met anybody that can explain it. But I know it's real because it's happened in my life. And it's hap I've seen it happen in many people's lives 
where this is what they were, this is what they're becoming because of the work that the Holy Spirit is doing. He's changing their life, making them more sensitive to the, to the will of God, to, the, to his joy and to his pleasure. And this is what Paul is uh, really getting across to these Philippian believers, and I think to us as well. So we are to com- have that complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit to change us and to change our motives so that we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And this is possible because of verse 13 that I read. It instructs us, it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So it's important to know, to please this all-powerful, holy, perfectly righteous God is only achieved as we humbly rely upon the wisdom and the abilities he gives us, that he gives us. And I think to discover how he works in us, we need to be in his word daily. You probably have heard that before, and we keep beating it into our heads. Uh, Wanted to keep it into me, for sure. Uh, Daily, I need to be in His Word. Daily. And it's not, some people say, if I'm not in His Word, the day's not going to go well. Well, I'm not sure about that. But I do know that we need to be in His Word. We need to be there. We need to be consistent with that. And when we are in His Word, then we certainly can... Uh, know his will and we can know his purposes because in the scripture is where he delivers that to us right you want to know the will of God get into his word you want to know how he works get into his word you want to know how he changes your heart you'll probably find out in there but not completely because it's only the work that the Holy Spirit can do and he changes us again your desires your motives why do you do that why do you come to church Why do you give the money that was taken up earlier? Why do you listen to a sermon? Why do you do anything as a a child of God? The motive ought to be because I love my Lord. He saved me. It's his salvation. I couldn't have nothing to do with it. I was lost. I was dead. I was separated from him. I was heading to hell. But he saved me. Do I understand why? No, I don't. But I am so glad he did. And this ought to motivate me to live more and more for him. So God's will certainly is not just for us to be satisfied with knowing that we're saved, but I think it's his will that we work out the salvation. That's what he's talking about here. Work out or live in obedience to him. Do something with what he's given to us. See, God is willing, works within us, that willingness uh, to, to want to live like him. But as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. But God works in us to be able to do those things where the flesh can't. He can. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 says, to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So to be God's lighthouses, we need his salvation. We need his strength uh, to please him. And then thirdly, we need God's sacrifice, sacrificial stance. Now I had to get the S in there so to, to you know, have my points. So, okay. Uh, so, but that stance really is, is his attitude. So God's sacrificial attitude And we see that in Jesus, right? We see that in Jesus, how he sacrificed for us. 
But in verses 14 to 18, Paul has given some sacrificial attitudes here for us. Do, not, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So he's given us some sacrificial attitudes here. He says, don't be grumblers. Don't be people that are secretly discontent. Now, it doesn't mean you keep it to yourself, but you kind of sneakily you're, you're discontented, and you're going to let a few people know about it. You're going to kind of gnaw away at it. That's what that is talking about. And don't be a disputer, he's talking about. That's a person who questions with the wrong motives. In other words, troublemakers. Don't be a troublemaker, because that destroys unity in the church. It destroys unity in the family unit, in your own personal family unit, and certainly in the church of Jesus Christ. What pleases God certainly is a sacrificial, selfless, thinking of others attitude like Jesus. That's what he did, and that's why Paul pointed, and when he said, therefore, or so then, in verse 12, pointing back to just as Jesus had this sacrificial attitude, you also have that as well. I think the point that Paul here again is making is to prove and to show that uh, we are God's children, that we want to live like him. We want to be that lighthouse that that, uh, he works within us. We want to reflect that light and that we're his ambassadors. We're in a foreign country. You know that? We're in a foreign, as a believer, we're in a foreign country. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Some people know that. Great. Again, I'd sing that for you, but I won't do that. But it is. It's true. This is, this is not our home. But we are to be lights in this place that God has us. We're to be a reflection of who he is. We live in a crooked and perverse world, certainly controlled by Satan. Verse 15, Paul says, uh, the anti-God system that's controlled by Satan. And while in this world, we're to behave like children of God, follow his principles, avoid the world's pulling into its empty, meaningless vacuum that's there. And believe me, it is empty and it is a vacuum. And so all of us, I need to be, you need to be on your toes morally and spiritually speaking. And why? Because of verse 15, to appear as lights. This is written in such a way as that make this happen. Make this happen. You, this, is a, this is important. Make this happen. Make this light. Let this light shine. Shine bright like the stars, showing them who Jesus is and said, that I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life, John 8, 12. We are to display a life that's dedicated to God, one that people see that we love the Lord more than anything else. When you really love somebody, try and remember back in your married life, before you were married, and you couldn't stop talking about that gal or that guy, right? And every time you met somebody, it didn't have to come up. It didn't have to be part of the conversation, but you're going to stick it in there. I, you, did you see Ralph? <laughs> what a catch. 
And it didn't have nothing to do with the conversation, but... Right, hon? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but that's the way it ought to be with Jesus, right? We should love him so much that we look for ways to bring him into the conversation. We look for ways to tell about the person that loves me so much that I love him. He first loved me, therefore I can love. So we need to appear as these lights, display that life that's committed to him. We're to live in dependent obedience upon our Savior so that others will indeed witness the transforming power of God's grace, turning a sinner into a saint. Now, a saint doesn't mean that you won't sin again. But we are changed from sinner to saint. But a saint who realizes that there's still sin, there's still a human nature inside of me that wages war with the spirit that God has given to me. So that we are at a battle. We're at a spiritual battle. It's there every day, whether we sense it or not. That's why we need to be praying for one another. But our power source certainly is God. Our example for living godly is God, and we are to project his light in this wicked, wicked, dark world. This is not easy. I'm not going to stand up here and say, oh, this is a cinch, folks. I know that it's not easy. The old nature inside of me wants to rebel against some of the things. Boy, I can remember early in my Christian life when, when people would tell me this is what God's word said. I No, I'm, I don't want that. I want to do this. I don't want to do, I want to stop doing that. But as I kept reading God's word, I realized, no, I needed to give these things up for him because he loved me so, so very much. So it's not easy because that battle is there. And of course, again, the anti-God system in our world. I mean, just look, it was spoken about earlier, the decision that was made on Friday. The battle is not over. We have a victory. We need to give praise to God, but the battle is not over. People need to continually see the light and we're not to go out as what had already happened, where violence is taking place because of it, by those that um, are, are against that decision that was made. We need to love them with the love of Christ. They need to see that they can be forgiven as well. And to see that life that's been transformed, to talk about that life that's been transformed, not by because I made a decision someday, but because of God's work in me, his choice of me, his saving me from my sins the one who died and bled so that we might have forgiveness of sin, rescued us from the domain of darkness. Think about that. That's spoken of in Colossians chapter 1, that God qualified us, and he rescued us from that domain of darkness, hell, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son that we can live with him forever and ever and ever. Amen? That's what God has done for you, and he's done for me, and what he wants to do for anybody if you understand the sin that's in your life and admit that. And I know I had a struggle for many years admitting that I was a sinner and that I needed to be forgiven. But praise God, he didn't give up. He didn't give up. And he won't give up on you either. You have to give up on him. He won't give up on you. When Christ returns, and he will, Paul wanted to boast that his death might not be in vain, might not be for no purpose, in the sacrificial service that he was giving to the Philippian believers. Uh, their dedication of holding fast, their commitment to living sacrificially for God and being unselfish and humble 
being floodlights in a dark, dark world, brought joy to Paul. He saw what was happening, heard what was happening, and this brought him joy. And as he poured his life into him, he realized that this was not in vain. His his sacrificial giving for them was not uh, for nothing. In verses 17 and 18, he talks about this. He he gave up his life for the benefit of them. He wanted them to grow in their faith. He wanted them to benefit. If you remember, Paul is also the one that said, "I, I really have a tough time to, be with, to die and be with Christ or to stay here and, and be, do something for you. But he says, I know I'm to remain for your benefit. He'd rather be in heaven with the Lord, but God had a purpose for him. And he's saying to the Philippian believers, I have joy. I have joy seeing you live the way that you live. And I know that what I have done is not in vain. Real joy can be ours. It can be ours when we live and to benefit other people, when we live to, be, to bring glory to God and benefit, love God, love others, right? The two highest and biggest, best commandments. When we do that, Paul knew that we would have joy in our life, and he was, knew that for the um, Philippian believers as well, and he knew that this would also maintain in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. So we need to be sacrificial, We need to, first of all, know that God saves us. We need to know that God gives us the strength, and we need to have that sacrificial attitude that he had so that we, as a unity, people will see us. Church fights, church infighting, church splits are not a good testimony to the world. They need to see that we love him and that we love one another. Love him and love one another. So working out our salvation is certainly something that we do, But at the same time, remembering, not on our strength. I'm to work this out. But it says that God is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not so that I'll be happy and satisfied, but so that he will be. He will be. So we can trust and we can obey our Savior who died for us. And he rose again by living not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we're to remember the gospel every day. That's why I'm saying we're getting back to basics. Remember the gospel. Remind us, preach the people said, preach the gospel to yourself every day. It doesn't mean that we live back there. We don't live on just that. We understand to live the Christian life, to do what God is asking us to do. We need to remind ourselves what we've been saved from so that we develop within us and the Holy Spirit develops within us such a great attitude, a, grat- a gratitude, gratitude for what... Um, what God has done for us, so that we indeed want to live for him. We want to come and worship. We want to be with other believers. We want to encourage one another. We also want to get out, outside of these walls, and we want to tell people about the light of life, the person that changed a sinner into a saint because of his working grace in us. I can't speak for other people, but I think remembering, remembering this does bring me real joy and purpose. And, and I said that earlier, but it, it really does. It it's a, brings about a gratefulness every day. And, and the longer I remember, the more I remember this, the more I'm grateful for even the little things. Have you ever been grateful for the water that you turn on in your spigot? That sounds silly, isn't it? But there's a lot of people that don't have that luxury. They have to walk miles for water. Have you ever thanked God for the hot water that you have? Have you ever thanked God that you have hair 
that you don't have it? Amen. <laughs> yeah, a hair doesn't make a man. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit within, isn't it? And long hair doesn't make a woman. It's the Holy Spirit. It's that inner person, the working of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I think that deep gratitude that we have will spur us on to experience that joy. And we can really, do you rejoice when others rejoice? Do you, or do you envy? I wish I had that. I wish I had his money or her money, or I wish I had, I better better not go there. Um, But rather than to envy, we need to be grateful for what the Lord has done and how we can uh, do that and look forward to uh, rejoicing with each other. And even though we're not perfect, I think by humbly submitting to his work, we can develop the sacrificial attitude so that we're willing to, uh, to die to self and live to God, who raised us up to be with him forever. In closing, I'd like to read a, a letter that I got. I can't say from who uh, or where, uh, but it's a couple living in a place um, that the government doesn't want them there. And they know that, and it's not like they live on pins and needles, but they wrote a a letter, and uh, I received it this last week, and I just thought it really made me stop and think about living for Christ day by day. So I wanted to read it to you, and hopefully that you'll understand when we experience certain things that um, we need to just be mindful of who we are living for. Quote, there is a constant amount of heaviness on our hearts simply never knowing how long we will be given the opportunity to live here. With this heaviness comes such a burden to make every single day and relationship count. Please remember us and ask that we not take up burdens he does not ask us to, but that we would live faithfully, fully, and wholly unto him and for his purposes." May I just add, I think that's a good prayer for all of us, isn't it? Help us to to know what to take on, what to let go, what burdens to let go of, rut them roll over on the Lord. What does he want me to do? How is he working in me so that I live every day, every day? Don't let it go to waste. Live every day that's pleasing to him. Let's pray. Father, we, we are so grateful, so grateful that you have saved us. And we know that uh, that's just the beginning because you tell us right in these verses that you, you work in us to, uh, to give us that willingness and the doingness uh, to be able to do what pleases you, not us. And so, Father, remind us of that on a day-by-day basis so that we wake up and we say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But also, Lord, help me to see what you want me to see. Help me to do what you want me to do and in the way that you want me to do it, that you indeed will get that glory. And then may you be praised and thanks. And we give you the praise and the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.